0: Now on your behalf, I am delighted to welcome today's special guest, Peter Kent. As probably everyone in this room knows, Peter Kent has served Canada wonderfully over many decades, both as a journalist, broadcaster, and as a member of parliament. He was first elected to the House of Commons in 2008 as an MP for the riding of Thornhill, where my mother-in-law is his number one fan. (laughs) He then became Canada's Minister of State um, a state of Foreign Affairs for the Americas, where he led the government's efforts to advance democracy, security, and prosperity, prosperity in our hemisphere. In January 2011, Mr. Kent was appointed Canada's Environment Minister. In his former life, he had a distinguished career as a broadcast journalist, and spent over 40 years as a writer, reporter, producer, anchor, and senior news executive in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Mr. Ken has won numerous awards over the course of his journalistic career, including the very prestigious Robert F. Kennedy Award. He is also a member of the Canadian Broadcast Hall of Fame. In addition to all this, he is a very active community volunteer with a long list of contributions, including as a mentor to the Toronto Region Immigration Employment Council, a volunteer with the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, the Toronto Conservatory of Music, and the Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre, among many other things. Um, In addition to talking to us about his work as the Environment Minister today, Mr. Kent has very kindly agreed to take questions from you, uh, our live audience, following his speech. Um, Mr. Kent, the Canadian Club podium, Canada's podium of record is yours. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Alison. And uh, good afternoon, folks. Uh, thanks uh, to all of you uh, for coming out today. Um, and what a wonderful room uh, to greet you. Uh, this, uh, this room is haunted by uh, uh, celebrities and entertainment masters over the decades. I never actually heard Sinatra or Lionel Hampton perform here, uh, but I did uh, attend one of Peter Appleyard's uh, memorable evenings. So it's, uh, it's wonderful to be with you here today. In my um, in my previous life, um, I attended many dozens of uh, Canadian club luncheons over the years. So I'm delighted and honored to be here with you today on on this side of the uh, of the podium. Former media colleagues regularly ask me uh, whether I'm really happy as a politician, uh, whether I don't have uh, pangs of regret uh, that I've left journalism. And my answer, since I uh, was first elected back in 2008, and as recently as uh, this Thanksgiving weekend, is that while journalism was a, uh, was a great career, a great adventure, I'm having a uh, terrific time today, a very satisfying time, a sometimes challenging time uh, on this side of public policy. There is a communications challenge, of course, uh, and my challenge today is to tell you the story of Environment Canada in a way that will make you understand, take pride in, perhaps, hopefully, even inspire you on the degree to which your country uh, is a world leader on so many environmental issues Uh, because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our Harper Government uh, has an impressive record of achievement here. Par l'intermédiaire de ces experts scientifiques et en recourant aux meilleures ressources disponibles, Environnement Canada assure à la population canadienne des politiques et règlements efficaces. Nos activités scientifiques procurent à tous des prévisions météorologiques en temps opportune. De plus, ces activités renforcent notre capacité à surveiller les changements environnementaux. Through our expert scientists, uh, and using the best available research, Environment Canada provides Canadians with policies and regulations that work. Our science ensures you timely weather forecasts, and it advances our ability to monitor changes in the environment. We place a high value on enforcement to ensure our actions have meaning. All of this helps to make us a world-class regulator. We provide strong leadership in protecting endangered species and our nation's rich biodiversity in land conservation through the creation of a record number of new parks and through partnership with organizations like uh, the Nature Conservancy of Canada and Ducks Unlimited, in state-of-the-art chemicals management planning, and in the measures we've taken to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, which have helped us now halfway towards our target for 2020. But that isn't all. We're also active on the international stage, honoring our United Nations commitments under the Copenhagen Accord, funding programs to promote sustainable agriculture and to protect forests in developing countries, uh, participating in global sustainable development summits, such as the recent Rio Plus 20, and working with continental counterparts in the United States and Mexico to address a shared environmental agenda and with our American colleagues regarding the protection of our shared Great Lakes. We can be truly proud of what we've accomplished and all the more so because we've persevered at a time when public and private sector budgets are very lean and we must be as efficient as possible. We've done all of this in a way that complements and supports Canada's economic agenda. This government understands that an economy is very much like the ecosystems we work so hard to protect. Changes in one part of the food chain have to be carefully managed to avoid creating new challenges elsewhere. For example, Canadian companies, the companies that create Canadian jobs, compete against those from countries that are not subject to the same environmental standards and therefore do not have the same fixed costs. We can also be proud of the degree to which collaboration, consultation, and partnership frame our approach to the environment. Granted, it sometimes takes a little longer, and it can sometimes be a little messy, to say the least, but there's no other way for a world-class regulator like Canada to proceed. Our success with water, for example, demonstrates that we know how to walk the talk. Au cœur de l'été, nous nous sommes enfin attaqués à l'une des plus grandes sources isolées de pollution de l'eau en instaurant des normes nationales visant le traitement Uh, Over the summer, uh, many of you will know that we tackled uh, one of the largest single sources of water pollution in Canada, introducing the first national standards for wastewater treatment. These standards will align us with the United States and the European Union and ensure that untreated and undertreated sewage are not dumped into our country's waterways. Framing the new regulation, we made absolutely certain that we heard the views of a range of stakeholders, communities, and partners, and that means that while things didn't proceed especially smoothly or quickly, uh, the outcome is extremely robust. That progress with wastewater and the alignment with international standards will contribute to Canada's implementation of the renewed Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement, which Canada and the United States uh, enhanced last month. I don't think I need to tell anyone here today how important the Great Lakes are as a source of drinking water, a resource for agriculture, a route for transportation, as well as home to around 150 species of fish and 3,500 plant and animal species. Obviously a great deal has changed since uh, our two nations first signed the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement uh, 40 years ago, but what hasn't changed since 1972 is our shared commitment to protect the world's largest surface freshwater system and the health of the surrounding communities. The revised terms include provisions to address such issues as aquatic invasive species, habitat degradation, and the effects of climate change. They reinforce ongoing efforts to deal with harmful algae, toxic chemicals, and discharges from vessels using the lakes. Uh, We've acted fast, ladies and gentlemen, to deliver on our renewed commitment. Le gouvernement a lancé aujourd'hui l'initiative sur les nutriments dans les grands lacs. Au cours des quatre prochaines années, nous investirons 16 millions de dollars pour aborder le problème d'elgues toxiques et nuisbles récurrente due au déversement de phosphore. Today, the government uh, launched uh, I made the announcement down at HMCS York uh, on the waterfront the government launched the Great. Lakes Nutrient Initiative. We'll invest 16 million dollars over the next four years to address the re-emergence of the toxic and nuisance algae caused by phosphorus discharges. The impact of algae is greatest as uh, as we all know in Lake Erie which will be the principal focus of this program. But the plan is to develop a base of knowledge and a strategy that we can use in other Great Lakes and other lakes across Canada as well. The Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement is also serving as the foundation for the development of a renewed Canada-Ontario agreement respecting the Great Lakes basin ecosystem. This new federal-provincial agreement will synchronize our efforts to deliver on the agreements and commitments of the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement. Again, collaborative partnership will be the key to success. As it was uh, just last month when we joined the Nature Conservancy of Canada and its American counterpart along with the public and private partners to protect the Flathead River Valley in British Columbia. The Flathead River Valley is one of North America's most iconic wild places. Our joint investment of just over ten million dollars has much broader and important impact. It's not only good for Canadians, it has international implications because it helps to ensure clean drinking water for over 100,000 Americans and there's more. These days when I talk with people who know a little about Lake Simcoe uh, and have spent time there, uh, they're always happy to report that they're now catching pike and smallmouth bass again and the lake is no longer clogged with algae. And we're making progress remediating other lakes as well. In August, Prime Minister Harper introduced the next phase of the Lake Winnipeg Basin Initiative. Over the next five years, another $18 million will be spent uh, building on the results we've already achieved there in improving the quality of the water, including increased investments in stewardship projects. And under the St. Lawrence Action Plan, Le Plan Saint Laurent, renewed last year, we are focusing on comprehensive monitoring with a view to biodiversity conservation, improved water quality and sustainable use of that great river. Environment Canada's Chemical Management Plan also plays a crucial role in preserving water quality uh, as well. It contains controls to limit the use of toxic chemicals like bisphenol A and prevent them from getting into fresh water. By further restricting and regulating the use of phosphates in household uh, cleaning products, detergents and laundry soap, we're addressing the growth of algae that they cause. Bien entendu, la surveillance de la qualité de l'eau se trouve au cœur des travaux continus que nous réalisons afin l'intégrité environnementale des sables du Canada. And of course, water quality monitoring is at the heart of the ongoing work we're doing to ensure the environmental integrity of Canada's oil sands. The oil sands. Are an important driver for our domestic economy but they must be developed in a responsible way. That means ensuring that we have the best scientific information available on the cumulative impacts of oil sands projects. Pardon me I seem to have caught a drip on the waterfront this morning. We're equally determined uh, to work in partnership with Alberta and a broad range of stakeholders including environmental groups, scientists and communities, Aboriginal peoples and corporations to make certain that our solutions are comprehensive, that they are rigorous and that they are sustainable. In February, we announced the Canada-Alberta implementation plan for oil sands monitoring. Environment Canada is working closely with its provincial counterparts uh, to phase in enhanced monitoring over the next few years, and this new monitoring system will be scientifically rigorous, comprehensive, integrated, and transparent. I was in Fort McMurray in July, touring some of the newest monitoring facilities with my Alberta counterpart, uh, Minister McQueen. And I have to say, we were both impressed uh, with how much has been done, although there still remains a great deal to do. We are integrating and coordinating all the various monitoring activities. We will be transparent with that data to ensure that we have the most scientifically credible picture of the water, the air, the land, and biodiversity issues in the region. This is the only way to understand the cumulative effects of oil sands development in a timely context. We're deploying Environment Canada's world-class scientific capacity and expertise and we are working very closely with the government of Alberta and its scientists. We also have the support of industry. Oil sands producers have committed to help fund the enhanced monitoring system being advanced through this joint uh, federal-provincial effort to the tune, actually, of $50 million a year. The latest statistics show Canada's efforts on greenhouse gas emissions are paying off over the past five years Uh, We have made significant progress in de-linking greenhouse gas emissions from economic growth. And And over the um, next few years, our efforts will uh, will produce even greater results. Uh, I announced uh, during the summer that our efforts to date have taken us halfway towards meeting our 2020 target uh, for greenhouse gas uh, reduction. Tout cela est le résultat d'un travail d'équipe. Les gouvernements fédéral et provinciaux ont mis en place des mesures et surtout les consommateurs et les entreprises ont réagi à ces mesures et ont su se montrer à la hauteur. This is truly the work of teamwork. The measures that the federal and provincial governments have put in place and more importantly how consumers and businesses have responded to these measures and have risen to the challenges. Last month, uh, we tabled uh, final regulations to bring greenhouse gas emissions from coal-fired electric power generation down to the same level as natural gas sources. These new regulations are the culmination of a very long and an inclusive process. We received 5,000 responses to our initial draft proposal and we took the time necessary to consider that feedback. (coughs) The end result Uh, with which we are very pleased was shaped by the fact that each province and each power utility have a very different profile. The new coal regulations are an important step towards reducing Canada's greenhouse gas emissions and Environment Canada is already well underway with a plan to achieve the same results in the oil and gas sector. In July 2012, this summer, the Government of Canada released proposed regulations that would implement new standards to reduce air pollution and greenhouse gas emissions in the marine sector. That builds out on the new tailpipe standards we've already introduced for cars and heavy trucks. Canada partnered with the United States on vehicle emission standards and in February we framed our shared air quality agenda by joining a new multilateral climate and clean air coalition to reduce what are called short-lived climate pollutants. Now, given all the emphasis that I've placed on collaboration and common purpose, and the fact that we're now near the end of, uh, of October, I would be remiss if I didn't spend uh, just a little bit of time uh, giving you an update on our international environment, environmental engagement, specifically the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, uh, conference of the party uh, summit which is to be held this year in Doha, Qatar. Canada remains as committed as ever to working within the United Nations framework to address global climate change, and all of our hard work to reduce our domestic greenhouse gas emissions have been driven by the 2020 target taken by Canada under the Copenhagen Accord. Last year in Durban, Canada demonstrated our commitment to action, playing an influential role in developing a new climate change platform that will bring us closer to seeing all major emitters agree to greenhouse gas emissions, unlike today when the the remnants of the Kyoto Agreement uh, represent uh, significantly less than 15 percent of the world's emitters. This was a long-standing Canadian objective. Canada also continues to work closely with key players through the G8, uh, through the G20, through the Major Economies Forum and others to develop practical initiatives to address greenhouse gases and climate change. In particular, in February, Canada played a strong leadership role in co-founding a new multilateral partnership, the Global Climate and Clean Air Coalition. This new partnership is action-oriented and is meant to address short-lived climate pollutants, which is important as it will also significantly help global greenhouse gas emissions. It is also also a means towards addressing some of the effects that these pollutants have on health, on agriculture, and other environmental impacts. I'll conclude my remarks now in the hope that uh, I've had a measure of success in telling you the story of Canada and its environmental successes. Uh, We are not about empty promises or vague discussions on the environment. We are about real and pragmatic action. And we are proceeding in a practical and, I believe, effective manner that takes into account the environmental and economic realities that we face. This approach will ensure that our efforts are balanced and truly sustainable for all Canadians. And it will, I promise you, continue to achieve results. Qu'il s'agisse de la qualité de l'eau, des réductions des émissions de gaz à fait de serre ou la surveillance de calibre mondial visant la région des sables bitumineux, nous avons fait des progrès de manière constante, systématique et scientifique. Whether it's water quality, greenhouse gas emissions, or world-class monitoring in the oil sands, we have made progress, ladies and gentlemen, in a consistent, systematic, and science-based manner. This is progress that we can all take pride in. Thank you. Merci.
0: got the roaming mic here, so okay, please seconds. stay there. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, and thank you, uh, Mr. Kent, for agreeing to take questions from the audience. Um, I do have a few <coughs> rules, though. I hope that you'll uh, all oblige. Uh, the first is that if you'd like to ask a question, please raise your hand, and a volunteer will bring you a microphone. Um, the second is if you could please keep your remarks short so we can fit in as many questions as possible. Um, and then third, uh, above all, if you could please phrase your question, as Alex Trebek would say, in the form of a question. Uh, that means it ends with a question mark, <laughs> and uh, we can now begin. Toby. It's
2: a, it's a pleasure to, to have you with us today, Minister Kent. Thank you. Especially as a journalist who almost 30 years ago produced one of the most comprehensive pieces of journalism on climate change uh, at that time. Um, my question is on uh, your views on how we can link the environment with our industrial strategy. And I'm thinking um, by natural capital accounts, we're blessed with a ton of oil, but we're also blessed with a, an equal amount of abundant clean renewable energy, whether it's hydro sure. or, or pump storage. And we seem to spend uh, about a hundred times more on try to export our fossil fuels than we do on exporting our, our clean energy, where there's a lot of industrial opportunity. And I'm looking at Newfoundland, uh, way off a half an hour ahead or behind, and I'm thinking about what they've done, and they've uh, done a strategy of resource conversion where they've converted their fossil fuel wealth from their offshore reserves to green infrastructure to enable them to sell clean electricity to the Americans and displace dirty coal, and it's a, for, for eons or it could last for decades, sure. and I want to get your thoughts uh, in terms of Newfoundland. We look to them for a comedy from Rick Mercer or for the morning news from Seamus O'Regan and on what we might be able to learn from Newfoundland in linking up our industrial strategy with the green economy.
1: Sure. Well, thank you. A Great question. Uh, <clears throat> and that documentary that you referred to the, the greenhouse effect is still available in the deeper realm on uh, on YouTube and it does stand up well today some of the questions are are still unanswered and uh, and uh, it 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 was early and uh, and produced through the good offices of the CBC David Studer producer uh, and <clears throat> one day i hope that uh, he gets the recognition that he uh, that he richly deserves well and I'll give you, it's a big question that you ask. Uh, Canada is blessed with uh, many forms of renewable uh, energy and, and, the, and the fact is, and this is very seldom noted uh, 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 among our critics, but Canada is already today 75% energized by, re- by renewables. <clears throat> the problem is, in this large country, we don't have the hydro capacity uh, potential that, uh, that Quebec, and now Newfoundland and Labrador uh, have. Um, uh, And the reality is that we still face many decades, the world still faces many decades of uh, consumption of hydrocarbon fuels. The challenge for us, and it is, as you said, a a great uh, Canadian birthright, it's one that needs to be managed properly, both in the extraction process, uh, but also in the uh, end user combustion. It it can and and will be, um, through regulation, through technology, through better practices, um, managed in a way that that significantly reduced the toxins and the the GHG that it produces. Um, I'm going tomorrow to uh, to Alberta for our annual meeting of the Canadian Ministers of the Environment, uh, and I'm sure that parts of your question will come from different angles, and those provinces, not blessed by by, uh, hydro, we still rely on coal-fired energy will will be there and they'll have their comments on our new regulations on coal-fired to reduce them to the operating standards of, of uh, clean natural gas but it's a, it's a continuing challenge but, but there is a balance necessary and you're quite right in striking the balance between responsible resource development uh, environmental stewardship uh, and uh, and uh, reduction of, of um, the toxins and GHGs that uh, the carbon fuels still uh, Still represent.
0: And in the back, please.
3: Hello, um, Minister Kent. Uh, my name is Peter Ketchum. Uh, I'm reeve of the Township of the Archipelago. And I had great concern in the middle of the summer when I attended uh, an IJC review of of, of proposed their proposals of how to handle water levels in the Great Lakes. Yep. And I would wonder what environment Canada has to offer with regards to the disappearing water in the Great Lakes and no more is it the most evident of it being in uh, Georgian Bay. Bay.
1: Excellent question and it's one um, uh, with which our government is seized. Um, I've held uh, meetings uh, uh, over, over in recent months, recent weeks, last week a couple of meetings um, and uh, had a chance to discuss uh, some of the some of the challenges with IJC uh, uh, colleagues in the United States when we signed the renewed uh, Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement. Uh, water levels in the Great Lakes have always been cyclical, but we're into into new and uh, and uh, very deeply concerning territory right now. Um, water levels uh, even in Lake Ontario not quite as no certainly not as noticeable as in Georgian Bay are at their lowest level since 1965. Um, and the problem is, uh, and there are some who have proposed uh, controls uh, of the sort that uh, that uh, contain water behind uh, uh, barriers, dams in, in Lake Superior, to try and, and um, affect changes in, uh, in Lake Huron and Michigan uh, and Georgian Bay. Um, uh, but we are waiting now for the final report, as you know, the first report of the IJC um, was found to be incomplete. They asked for more time. They will be presenting a, a new set of, a new report, with a new set of recommendations in uh, December. Um, I have discussed this with my counterpart at the EPA, um, Lisa Jackson. Um, uh, John Baird uh, has, the, has the file on, on the diplomatic front because it is an international uh, uh, treaty. Uh, and uh, we are visiting it because it's not only the problems of lower water levels for recreation boaters, it is having an impact on sturgeon populations, uh, uh, it is having uh, significant negative impacts on property values and the tax base uh, surrounding uh, surrounding those lakes. We can control water levels in the Trent Severn waterway because we do have a, a series of dams, but even there it's imperfect and, and uh, you're aware that we had to release water to help uh, folks get their boats out of the water in the last couple of weeks. It is a very serious problem, and it is one that uh, our two governments are, uh, are seized with. There are proposals, and I'll, I'll keep my answer short here, there are proposals to slow the flow of water through the St. Clair River, uh, but the problem is also, and this is another side of climate change, you can't hold back water that hasn't fallen, uh, the precipitation that hasn't fallen and, and drained into... Uh, into, the, uh, into that watershed. So um, our scientists are on it. They're working with American scientists. We're working with, uh, with communities and, uh, and our partner governments.
0: Thank you. I and mean, on the right-hand side, thank you. Good
2: afternoon, uh, Minister Thanks. Kent. My name is Chris Todi. I'm a student at Marshall McLuhan. Yes. Um, my question regards uh, the Alberta oil, oil sands. I know that Canada exports a lot of that oil, but it's unrefined. And there's a lot of potential to uh, perhaps make a lot of money uh, within our economy by refining uh, that oil domestically. Is that something that we can perhaps consider in the future?
1: Good question, uh, it's, and it's a question that's that's frequently asked and uh, regularly discussed uh, in government. Uh, the reality is that the business plans that the, 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 there there would be more refineries in Canada if if there was an economical an economic benefit to that. Um, The reality is you can't, the business plans simply don't work for refining in distant Alberta and then transporting gasoline or the other petroleum products to markets across the continent and and beyond. Uh, There are, as you know, uh, proposals for a Western delivery system for export, and there's increasing discussion, and I think it's it's one that needs to be explored, in delivery of heavy oil to eastern Canada to be refined here, which does represent uh, a, a great alternate market to the fact that most of our oil in eastern Canada is imported from OPEC countries, so very good question it 's one with which the um, the number crunchers at uh, at uh, any number of companies are, are are struggling. We are looking at it from a, a you know again from a government regulation point of view but but the thing is international markets are 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 interfered with at, uh, at great risk uh, and petroleum products are priced uh, and, uh, and distributed on the basis of a, of a very large international uh, uh, free market and we would, we would proceed into any, into any interference with that market uh, uh, at significant risk to Canadian economy and Canadian uh, taxpayers.
0: I'm slightly blinded by the light. Thank you. <laughs> I Just on the side there. Thank you.
3: Uh, hello Minister Kent, uh, my name is Jeremy Crookston, I'm with the University of Toronto's uh, uh, Public Policy and Governance School. Yes. Um, you spoke a little bit earlier about your previous life in the media, and I was wondering if uh, you might have something to say about what uh, the skills of decades of journalism have brought to your ability to sort of manage and, and access public policy. <coughs>
1: well, I'll give you what some may consider to be an old fart answer. Uh, Journalism has changed in the last uh, decade, decade and a half, uh, through um, fragmentation. Technology has made it possible for everyone to be a journalist or a quasi-journalist. The blogosphere is out there. Uh, If you go to Union Station in the morning, you're not seeing the newspapers of record in the garbage cans, you're seeing the giveaway newspapers, which which are really fast food snippets of uh, the headlines of the day. Um, there is a, in, in Canada, and I, I'm not sure that this has been recognized by an awful lot of the information-consuming public, um, <clears throat> when I was in my previous life with a company that, um, that uh, owned the Can West uh, newspapers, formerly the Southern newspapers, and Global Television, began the, pr- the, the practice of putting the best writers in the newspaper, who are the columnists, who are the opiners, on the front page of the newspaper. Um, the Globe and Mail matched that, and of course, the Toronto Star, which has never been short of uh, uh, political opinion on the front page, g- engaged and uh, so that what Canadians are getting now in all of their newspapers is opinion on the front page, which doesn 't represent uh, the golden days of my particular experience in journalism where uh, which we, 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 we strove to be objective, but what that really meant was being fair and balanced, where all elements of a story were included and the consumer made a decision. Today very often what happens, and there are great writers on all sides of the political environmental spectrum, but they generally come with uh, an argument to be made which is uh, very often deficient when it comes to a, a, a balance of facts. So I think if I lament, and then the blogosphere is you know, even even farther in in that area. And people tend I mean, human nature being what it is, people tend to consume uh, what they agree with. Uh, And so we find ourselves increasingly, in some of the public policy debates that we have in Canada today, uh, there's a a great divide, there's a chasm between us based on the real and tangible familiarity with the facts of whatever the uh, public policy issue is. So commendations to you, and as I said, uh, Uh, earlier today. I I would hope that some of your your classmates find their way to internships at Environment Canada to see exactly how we do approach uh, public policy development in in our little corner of the government.
0: Well I know the policy school has a large internship program so I imagine they'll be taking you up on that. (laughs) And last question please, just here. Thank you.
3: Um, Uh Honourable Minister, thank you very much. I really appreciated your remarks this afternoon. in your remarks, you mentioned the uh, uh, the meeting of the Canadian Council of Ministers of the Environment to take place later this week in Alberta. Um, on the agenda for that meeting uh, is, uh, I guess, an update and, and, and a status check and a decision point uh, relating to the national, uh, sorry, the uh, the air quality management system that the federal government and the provinces have been have been working on, uh, the pollution probe organization of which I'm a part has been very impressed with the process the depth of consultation and collaboration on the development of this new national framework we think the uh, the impacts and implications could be very beneficial and far-reaching um, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind reflecting on the process to date and maybe sure. your hopes for the outcome of, uh, of this meeting
1: thank you well no absolutely and in the same fashion as the development of the original Acid Rain Treaty between Canada and the United States, which was very controversial in its day, it was not quite as controversial as, as the free trade agreement with NAFTA. But the, the, the development of the original Acid Rain Treaty, um, continentally, was very controversial. A lot of a lot of um, uh, industrial players were very resistant. Uh, but I think. Um, uh, decades on uh, we see that and certainly my counterpart in, in the uh, US EPA Lisa Jackson sees that as a base upon which to build uh, and they're very pleased uh, and, and ready to engage on continental air quality uh, standards when we roll out our, our national standards um, it uh, the, the as you know the the air quality management system was first discussed by the environment ministers in St. John, Newfoundland, under my, one of my predecessors, Jim Prentice. And it's taken a few years to develop. There was a reluctance in some areas to move forward. There's a lack of science uh, and science capacity in some of the provinces. Um, but, um, and I don't want to preempt the outcome of our, of our uh, ministerial meeting uh, this week, uh, but we are, I think, fair to say, very close to rolling out national standards. Um, with allowance for a transition period in the same way that our wastewater management uh, will take place over a number of years simply because of the infrastructure uh, uh, and refitting costs that, uh, that are required. But, um, no, I think that um, uh, the provinces and territories and the federal government have, have really come together on the UK AQMS with encouragement from organizations like uh, Pollution Probe uh, and uh, and I think that there will be, besides having cleaner air, there's going to be huge health benefits. There will be significant uh, uh, surface water, uh, uh, agricultural benefits, and uh, and it's something that uh, that uh, watch watch the headlines in the next few days, and uh, and perhaps there'll be something there that uh, satisfies you.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Should I sit down?
1: Thank you so much, Minister. I know how busy your schedule is. On behalf of the Canadian Club, thank you so much for spending time with us today. The environment, it is a subject that we cannot afford to ignore or put back on the back burner any longer. Uh, Whether it's unusual weather fluctuations and the consequences on our ecosystems or the ramifications of greenhouse gas emissions, action is needed and it's needed now. As you rightly pointed out, we owe it to the future generations to protect our land, water and air. And that's where your environmental leadership comes into play, Minister. We appreciate you taking the time to outline your government's stewardship of our environment and the policies and programs and legal frameworks you're introducing to protect us as Canadians. We need to continue to forge ahead by demonstrating leadership in this important area. Thank you for leading the charge in this regard, and we appreciate it very much. Thank you.
0: Thank you, John. Um, I would like to to echo uh, John's thanks to Mr. Kent for speaking with us and being with us today, and I would also like to thank you, the audience, for joining us and being a part of this very important discussion. Um, Now, before I adjourn so we can all eat, which I know everyone's excited about, um, I did want to share with you a little bit of the exciting lineup that we do have planned for you this fall. Um, On October 19th, we will welcome our Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Lloyd Robertson, uh, who will be interviewed by his longtime time friend, uh, Brian Williams. Also in October, we'll welcome the celebrated filmmaker Deepa Mehta in conversation with CBC's Matt Galloway, and we'll also host Jamaica's Prime Minister, Portia Simpson, who is in Canada to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Jamaica's independence. In November, we'll be hosting our fifth annual Take Your Kids to Lunch Day, Um, Newfoundland and Labrador Premier Kathy Dunderdale will also be with us and we'll celebrate the 100th anniversary of the CFL uh, with a conversation with uh, Commissioner, CFL Commissioner Mark Cohan and Stephen Brunt. To order tickets to these or to any Canadian Club event, please visit our website at CanadianClub.org. This concludes the formal part of today's uh, proceedings and also our television programming, which will be brought to you uh, by Rogers TV in the days to come. We continue to be very grateful to Rogers TV and to 680 News for their continued promotion of Canadian Club events. Now, before we begin to eat, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you would, please rise as you're able and join us in a toast to Canada. To Canada. Cheers. Thank you again for joining us at the Canadian Club and enjoy your lunch. Bon appétit.